welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, presented by Exo Mountain Gear. This podcast and the gear that we produce at Exo Mountain Gear share the same purpose, to make you a more capable, confident, and successful backcountry hunter. This show is all about providing you with valuable information from experienced hunters. To learn more about the podcast or about our backcountry hunting packs, visit exomountaingear.com. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode 187, and we're talking about efficiency. We're talking about having more success and less time, and how do you make the most of the limited hunting time that you have? So in the interest of limited time, I'm not going to ramble in this intro, but want to let you know about one quick thing. We're giving away a custom Exo Mountain Gear Benchmade Bugout Knife this month in August of 2019. Just go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast to get entered takes just a couple seconds. You can hit pause right now. Just go to exomontgear.com forward slash podcast. Check that out. Hit the giveaway link and get entered for that. So again, in the interest of time, let's get right to this. Talking about being efficient, talking about making the most of your time, how to have more success in the limited time that you do have in the coming weeks and months for your hunting season. Let's get right into it. It's just me and Steve diving deep on this topic. So Steve, as it comes to uh, as it comes to the topic of hunting time, just to kick things off, I know that this has changed for you personally uh, over the last call it five to ten years of you know being single, then getting married, now having two kids and business growing and all that. So like, I think this is a topic that you probably consciously or subconsciously have maybe thought about more in the last few years than you have before oh. that, right? <laughs> Very, very consciously. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know, I, I think I've said it before on another podcast, but if you're out there listening and you are 18 to 25 and I don't even, even if you're engaged or married, yeah, you better be hunting your freaking ass off because um, it's only going to get harder and, you know, it's just, yeah, not going to get any easier. So I think I'm still... Um, I got after it pretty good. I was super lucky and my, my wife went off to get her master's uh, while, we, while we were engaged. And so I had three years there in, in my early 20s, um, probably like 23 to 26 or something like that, um, where she was, you know, I was basically engaged, but then she was living in Oregon and I was in Idaho and I'd, you know, I'd go visit every couple of weeks. But um, man, I hunted my butt off and I like in hindsight, I should have gone twice as much as i had so if you're if you're that guy listening and that applies to you just go hunt get as much experience as you can um because you're yeah you're only gonna regret not going more later in life i guarantee that well that's probably the minority of guys listening because i know most <laughs> right. guys are more in our situation call it like you know we happen to be 30s and young kids you got guys who are 40s 50s 60s we hear from all the time and they're juggling career and work and family and then a ton of guys who like myself do out-of-state hunts which is obviously a limited factor on time because you know if I'm going on an elk hunt I've got those seven days and that's it like if the weather sucks I'm hunting if the conditions are bad I'm still hunting those seven days like you have to make the most of what you have so this is yeah I think this is a good topic to kind of address on and there's no 
there's no like single magic answer to how to do this, but I think let's just like hit some of the things that we found helpful um, on making the most of limited time. And I think it really, it all boils down to, at least in the beginning, pre-planning a hunt. Um, you always, on one hand, have to plan very thoroughly. On the other hand, you always have to like hold that plan loose and be able to adapt on the fly. And I think being able to adapt is still very important with planning because when you adapt, when you have to make a change, you have to know what you're going to do. Like, so this spot sucks. Where am I going? Where's plan B? Um, that type of thing. So uh, yeah, just to begin with heading into new country, um, is something that's really important. So just looking at things like access points, um, knowing how you're going to get into that country, especially if it's new, especially if you're going out of state, that type of thing. But on the just on the planning topic, Steve, just to begin with that, like what do, what do you look at specifically going into a hunt to make sure that you're ready to actually be hunting and not wasting time trying to find access or move in country or what have you? Yeah, I, I actually want to start um, jump right to that question, right? But I actually want to start with. Um, I think it's really important to set your expectations for a hunt before you ever even start planning. Um, and what I mean by that is like, for, for me, this has changed five years ago. It was get in there, get something killed, get back out. Or not even that, like three, three, three years ago, right? When my daughter was about born, um, you know, it was just like, okay, I've got limited time. I want to get in there. I want to get something killed. I want to get back out. Right now, my my goals have changed to I want to go have a really fun hunt and harvest is less as a priority for me. Um, I'd rather, you know, I was on a kick with like going on solo hunts, being super effect, effective, efficient, get in there, kill something. And now it's like, ah, I'd really rather just go with buddies and, and have a really good, fun, relaxing time and, and understand that... Um, you know, if I don't harvest something, big deal. Uh, but to me, it's more important just to kind of get out there and really enjoy the experience. Cause there's definitely a, um, not that you're not going to have a lot of fun. Um, but if you're out there and your primary focus is to get something killed it, you know, you're like, you should be full attention 100% of the time versus kind of relaxing and, and enjoying it uh, a little bit more so i think it's important to start with that so what, what are you trying to achieve here yeah um and then then you start your planning yeah. so well, let's um, go let's go into that i yeah. was actually gonna <laughs> it's funny you wanted to start with that i wanted to end with that <laughs> we didn't oh. talk about that <laughs> but i wanted to recap this whole conversation with like in the end as much as we could talk about strategies and tips and like how to have more success in the end, you also have to balance that with basically the opportunity and how special that is to go out, especially on like a backcountry hunt or an extended hunt, multiple day hunt. And so there's this whole deal of like balancing hunting hard and enjoying the moment. And you could say that like physically, like you have to balance hunting super hard and not burn yourself out so that you can hunt you know, for multiple days at a time, that type of thing. But you can just say that as you were talking about, like from, like from expectations and perspectives. And there's, there's a lot that goes into that, man. Like there's all kinds of different personal choices and styles. And, you know, there's some guys who 
flat out want to go get it done and they don't care if it's enjoyable or there's jokes or there's fun. They just want to go kill something and that's fine. And there's guys who are on the other end of things like they want to get after it and hunt hard, but they want to enjoy it. And that's great too. Yeah. Right. And yeah, the, I know I used to like, look, I don't say look down on, but you'd like the, the guys that go and they set up a trailer and they're elk hunting and they, like, you know, they go for a four day hunt, they sleep in two of the days, like one day they're so hungover, they don't even get out of bed, maybe only do an <laughs> evening hunt, you know, like, oh, those guys don't take it very serious. But, but in hindsight, you know, they're, they're probably busy with work and family and all that stuff. And they're just up there to have vacation and get away and they get a little bit of hunting and that's great. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just really important to, to know what your goal is and, and, and know that, um, to me, if you're if your main goal is to kill something, that's a um, you're seriously going to cut into the fun aspect of that. At least for me, um, if it's if it's kind of all business back there, uh, then it, it definitely cuts away from from some of the fun part of it. So okay, so how so like how do you have yeah. less fun when you're hunting more seriously, or vice versa? Yeah, like to me, like the immediate thing that would jump to mind would be I'm mule deer hunting and I'm sitting behind glass. And instead of like if I'm super focused, my eyes are just glued to my binoculars, right? And I don't take I don't take them off. I don't take any breaks. I'm just glass, glass, glass for you know an entire morning. Uh, the opposite of that is I'm on a fun hunt and we're sitting there like drinking coffee, BSing, enjoying the sunrise you know you're looking through your glass and you know you just maybe take your eyes off and you talk to your buddy for five minutes and then you kind of start glassing again to me that's the difference between being relaxed and being hyper focused on finding a deer got it um, or yeah the um you know it's noon and you're kind of sleepy and you know it's like the wind's blowing and you're in the shade like oh, i'm just gonna take a nap versus uh, okay, frick, I haven't found a deer yet. I'm going to go climb this mountain 2000 feet so I can go glass the other side, you know, right. um, and start picking it apart. So there's a definite like mind shift change there on essentially the amount of focus and the amount of effort that you're willing to put in. That makes sense. A huge, I mean, you can't overlook how important it is if you're hunting with people to understand where people are at on that spectrum, right? Right. Like, it is so critical if you're, especially if you're hunting with one guy or obviously with, with multiple guys, like in a group, like to know what that looks like, like how hard are we going? Are we out here to have fun and hunt hard? Is it all business? You know, cause there's, oh man, it, I mean, that could be like one of the primary, I would say like conflict areas with hunting mm -hmm. with other people is how you treat that whole discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's you need to find someone that has very common goals to you and someone who's unselfish and is willing to, you know, just work with you. That's good, man. Um, so to get into like the nitty gritty, a whole bunch of things come into mind in terms of planning and making the most of opportunities. So I kind of started to mention access points. I'm thinking knowing where water sources are in an area, knowing where glassing points are in an area, pre-identifying like some level of game habitat to try and figure out how they might be moving, where they might be at certain times, potentially depending on your style of hunt, maybe camp spots, maybe looping out, you know, routes are like making loops of ground that you'll cover and how you do that. Like 
all of that pre-planning stuff is really important so that you don't show up and go, okay, what do we do now? Like, where are we headed? Like, where are we going? Like, where are the elk going to be? Where are the deer going to be? Um, and so w- what do you think? Like, and again, there can be differences for like mule deer hunting versus elk hunting. We can hit both, but what are, what are some of those key things to you, Steve, that in advance of a hunt, maybe guys waste time because they haven't already identified or planned for what? Yeah. I mean, access is going to be a huge one. If you're going in blind, um, I think the most important thing or the best thing you can do is make a phone call, call a national forest office or just find someone you can chat chat to that's going to have local experience and knowledge of where you're headed. Uh, we just did it on the death hike. I remember yeah, talking to the national forest that. lady, like, like, Hey, what, like what roads are open? Where can you get to? What can you do? Um, and she gave me some incredibly valuable information that I passed along to the rest of the guys and it changed, you know, what's going on. So just having, you need to have some knowledge of where you're going. I'm actually going through the same thing right now. I, I'm trying to take my niece's backpack in here in a few weeks and, um, I found this lake elk hunting, uh, that I came into from a crazy way. And I know, and we found a trail that went into it, but I have no idea like where the trail starts, how to get there. Uh, but it was just a cool lake. There's a bunch of fish in it. I want to take it back there. Um, so I, I just called and, and I couldn't get through to somebody yesterday, but I, I'm trying to get some information so I can take my best guess, but I don't want to, um, you know, we're going to go for a quick 24 hour trip and I don't want to be wasting three, four hours driving around on dirt roads, trying to find a trailhead. So, yeah. um, get some local knowledge. That's going to be huge. Cause it's maps are so, um, you know, between maps, I think I use uh, trails.idaho.gov, I use Onyx, I use Google Maps, and then Google Earth, uh, and my EarthMate app, my Garmin EarthMate app, because it's got some older quad sheets on it. And every single one of those is going to show different roads, um, you know, especially when you're talking about kind of logging roads that maybe aren't super well maintained. Some of those may have been gated off for 20 years, but on Google Earth, it still looks like a road and you can't actually spot the gate somewhere. Uh, so you just need to do how you're getting to the country. Um, you just need to do your upfront research and and really have that dialed in. Yeah. Um, and then definitely plan for, you know, there's going to be some, like it, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to get there and there's, you know, you start hiking and the terrain's going to look different or it's going to be a lot steeper and further than you expected. Or um, I think you definitely need to have some type of buffer plan in there um say you're the season opens um you know the the next morning i wouldn't like in it but you only got to hike four miles in so you're thinking oh, i'll just get there at like 5 p.m and hike in and then like i would definitely try to get there at noon and just give yourself extra time and obviously that's going to be situational but if you do have the opportunity just being early is never a bad deal um another one kind of off on topic is have your freaking crap packed at home. It is so much easier to lay all your gear out the night before, go through everything on your living room floor, get it all organized, fill your pack with water, literally be, I strive to, um, when I get to the trailhead, all I have to do is grab my pack, pull the bow out of the case, strap the bow to the pack, and then I'm hiking. Um, Like half of my Crockett's the worst. 
where he's like, there's no pre-planning. I, I know we've had Tyler Crockett on the podcast before. Um, no pre-planning. Everything's just like, you could tell he went to the store on his way out of town. He's trying to build all his food bags there at the trailhead. And that stuff eats up. Way, like You can easily spend half an hour to an hour once you're at the trailhead getting your pack loaded up. And then you're way more prone to forget something in that situation too where – you know, maybe it's just your fork or your extra fuel canister or extra pair of socks. Uh, those, those little things are so simple to, you know, when you're kind of on a trailhead and off working out the back of your tailgate. It's, uh, you know, way, way, way better just to be packed up, loaded at home and, and go. And then I have, I know we've talked about, I have my pack loaded and then I have my tote that's full of miscellaneous extra stuff so say I get to the trailhead and it's snowing and I wasn't expecting that I've got an extra insulation layer you know in that tote and I'll throw in the pack real quick so have a little bit of adjustability adaptability there but other than that have your pack ready to go thinking through it now I didn't even think of these categories beforehand but there's so much like efficiencies that you can do on call it like the gear slash backcountry living side and then on the actual hunting side. So let's like camp out in the that gear slash backcountry living side for a bit. And what I mean is just the practical stuff of you're on a backcountry hunt. Everything from finding water to filtering water to finding a camp spot, making camp, tearing down camp, setting up camp. All of that stuff like can either be super smooth and not affect your hunting time or opportunity. Or it can be a huge like time suck you could be hunting but now you're like wandering around looking for water because you ran out and you have no idea where water's at or you know it takes you way too long to set up and or tear down camp so what are some of the highlights kind of in that category steve of where you maybe see not people go wrong but like there's efficiencies to be gained here that truly do affect your hunting even though this feels like a category that isn't hunting specific. Does that make sense? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a f- the f- water's a big one, obviously. Water is, it's everything. I mean, obviously we, we die without water, um, before anything else. Right. Uh, and so when you're back there knowing where water is and it, and the, basically if you don't know, you're so much better off and I'm guilty as anyone else of, not completely filling up a bladder or not packing extra water because it's it's heavy you know um and and, uh you don't sometimes you don't want it you just want to fill up your three liter bladder and and not fill up the you know your your dirty bag just to have in case um but that's such a big one because if if you are into animals or you're headed into country that looks really good but you're you know you're going to run out of water you don't know if there's water in front of you and maybe you got to turn back down the trail a mile and and go to the last creek crossing you found you know i've i've had that happen to me yeah um and that so can be extra waters. yeah that can be super simple because you don't have to even stop and filter at that point but if you have like an extra dirty bag that you can seal i mean you can quite literally stop and fill up a one two three liters of water not treat it not do anything with it just throw it in your pack and that can literally take less than a minute and then five hours later you have that water if you need it yeah, and it's it's. There's been plenty of times too where I've filled up that dirty bag and like end up just dumping it on the ground, you know, because you for whatever reason you didn't need it or you got to a better water source or whatever reason. Um, and that always sucks. Like I just packed around an extra six pounds for nothing. 
Um, but you're just so much better off to be safe than sorry in that area. So, um, as far as finding waters, like that is the number one concern for me on a backpacking trip is where am I going to get my water from and pre-planning wise, you know, again, I think you need to hit up multiple maps because everyone's going to show slightly different things. You know, Onyx is, um, you know, their uh, topo is going to show a stream and then maybe, you know, you're not going to see it on another one. Uh, you just need to kind of hit up three or four different resources. One thing I like to do is get on Google Earth, um, especially like on a mule deer hunt and look for super, super green patches. And at least if I don't mark them down on a map, I'm at least going to kind of keep them in my memory bank of like, OK, there's a super green patch in the middle of this hillside. Uh, everything else is brown around it. There's probably some type of water there. Um, and then, yeah, just pay attention where creeks are, where lakes and puddles are. Um, anytime I'm in a new area and I find water, and even if I don't need to filter it right then, I'm marking that, right? Because that be, could be invaluable information, you know, the next day, the next year, five years later, always, always mark water sources. Um and so, yeah, that's that, so that's a huge one, just pre-planning that out. And then and when you're going into a country that you don't know, uh, just pack extra water to be safe. Because that's like I said, the one thing that's going to force you to come back down off the mountain and turn around or that's truly going to affect your hunt. Because it's outside of water, everything else you need to survive is on your back. And, uh, you know, water is the only thing that's going to dictate anything to you. Um, yeah, what's next? Just anything else specific on that, like, again calling it the backcountry oh, living gear. piece for lack of yeah. better term it, we and we just talked about this we actually recorded an episode yesterday which i think is going to be the episode that is actually released before this one about how to pack um and we went into how to pack gear how to pack meat etc so like part of this ties over and we even mentioned it in that episode but yeah just on gear or efficiencies of setting up tearing down camp any any of that basically where can yeah. time get wasted taking care I, of yourself and or living versus hunting probably the biggest one that is going to immediately jump to mind and everybody overlooks this they don't think twice about it is your tent uh, what you're using to sleep and the footprint and the space that's required for that thing um, i like tps are super popular these days and for good reason but they need a gigantic uh, flat spot you know they take up a lot of real estate on the mountain when those are really, really hard to find just, just on the death hike. Uh, uh, my group, Jeff Lusky had a, a seek outside TP and it was great. We, you know, got in there were three of us slept in there. It's super light and comfortable, but we hiked around for an hour trying to find a spot that was flat enough to pitch that thing. And you ended up, we really had to settle for a pretty mediocre spot, uh, where all of us were like, you know, kind of on a slight hill and we're sliding down where if we all three had individual smaller tents, we would have set up camp probably immediately and had a much flatter spot and would have been sleeping better that night. So one thing is definitely take into consideration your tent footprint. And, and I think it's uh, one of the main things that I love about using a bivy sack and a tarp is I can sleep anywhere. Uh, <laughs> if you're on a trail, you can just lay down right in the middle of the trail. I can't tell you how many deer elk beds I've slept in where you just you know, make, kick it out a little bit, make it a little bit bigger. Um, you can just sleep. It gets dark. It should take you a matter of a couple minutes to, f to find a spot. Or if you have a big two man tent, you have a big teepee, 
you could easily hike around for an hour in the dark trying to find that spot. So that's one thing that's that definitely comes to mind on on where you could be more efficient. Um, from there, you know, we, we yeah we talked about that we did the pack loading podcast of not using stuff sacks and you know just kind of pre plan things out. Um, something as stupid simple that I do is I have my coffee ready to go the night before. That's mainly because I'm a grouchy SOB in the mornings and I just want to like wake up and roll over and turn my stove on and have that running and the water boiling right away so I can drink my coffee. Um, you know, if I'm, uh, we talked about this on the podcast as well, but the, uh, valves on my air mattress, if you've got an older style one that takes forever for the air to come out, right. When you get out of your tent in the morning, just unscrew that thing, let the air just kind of slowly go out while you're out there, you know, kind of waking up in the morning and instead of just leaving it fully inflated and then, you know, in 15 minutes when you go to pack, start packing up everything, uh, then you got to spend that extra minute or two to do that. doesn't sound like much, but uh, it's just one of those, you know, a minute here, a minute there. Sometimes, especially if you're going into a hunt where, like we talked about, you're full on focused and the goal is to get something killed. Uh, every minute, you know, can and does matter. So, um, yeah. yeah. And sometimes I think that a, that efficiency, because something that just came to mind to me is like the end of a day. Sometimes you're just tired, you want to get to bed, but you have stuff you have to do type thing. Like I have to filter some water, or I have to organize right. this or that. I think in the beginning, I used to try and do all that first. Like say the end of the day, it's dark, we're at camp. I'm like doing, you know, let's call it chores for lack of better terms. And then it's like, okay, now I want to eat and then go to bed. One thing I realized was I used to do all that like tedious little stuff, miscellaneous, spend 15, 20 minutes doing that. And then I'd boil my water dump that in my meal whether it's you know dehydrated freeze-dried whatever and then i'd sit there for 10 or 15 minutes and it's like wait a second if i actually just cook that first and i have to sit there for 15 minutes anyway i can get all my quote-unquote chores done so like that's like a little tweak of like most of the time like first thing at the end of the day if i have stuff to do and eat i'm gonna boil my water throw that in my meal and now i have to wait 15 minutes anyway now i can get a ton of stuff done and it just saves time yeah, absolutely. That's a, a great thing to do. Um, another one that I was going to hit on, and then you just hit on it right there, is that 15 minutes of tedious stuff. Get that done before you go to bed. Because uh, in the morning, it, you're going to be tired. Your hands are going to be cold. You're going to be moving slower. Um, I know it's so easy just to just crash out. But it, anything you can kind of prep and think of the night before, like I'm talking about getting my coffee ready, get your clothes ready, kind of pre-pack what you can. Uh, so that in the morning, so maybe there's probably a lot of guys out there that are like wake up two hours before the sun comes up and are just sitting there twiddling their, you know, fingers, their thumbs waiting for the sun to come up so they can start glassing. I'm not that person. I'm like, you know, sleep as long as I possibly can hit the snooze button six different times. And then, <laughs> and then once I get up, it's like mad rush to get everything tore down and, and get out there and start hunting, you know? Um, so if you're like me, just do all that stuff the night before. So that when you wake up, you know, life's going to be easier for you. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that goes back to what you're saying, like with even pre-prepping coffee, I'll do all of that stuff at night. Like if I want coffee in the morning, most of the time my jet boils full of water, that t- like anything you can think of. Cause you're right in the morning, you're going to a be tired, b not want to get out of your tent, c be cold, 
D hopefully chasing a bugle or something like there's just so much yeah anything and everything you can do at night just do it at night yeah I said I get coffee's ready I'll usually get you know I'll usually just do like some type of protein bar in the morning they're easy for me to digest and get me by for a few hours I'll have that out and ready probably usually I'll throw it in my bivy sack with me so it's not like super frozen in the morning um and then you know just have that so you're not waking up and finding your headlamp and fiddling through your pack trying to find your coffee packet or your you know your breakfast um yeah in terms of more hunt specific stuff again this we talked about access points water relates not only for us but also for animals but i mean this is pretty freaking obvious for a mule deer hunt like you need to have your glassing points uh known like you know where you're going that's pretty obvious for mule deer hunt but i would say even for like even for an elk hunt just having pinpoints to fall back on can be really helpful um you know there's been times where we head into country we have a general like vicinity radius that we want to get into we think it looks elky right and it's like yeah let's get in there we'll find an elk we'll be chasing bugles whatever and that's fine but if you get in there and you're nothing's talking, you're not getting any responses, you're not hearing anything, you're looking for sign, it can be really helpful to go, oh, I have this actual one little pinpoint on the map that I thought looks like a great little feeding area. We can head that way. Um, yeah. And so those little things of like, ideally, sure, you're chasing bugles, but if you don't have that, like, what are you falling back on? Are you now wandering around or like, now you're looking at Onyx in the field trying to find what looks good. Just have as much of that like identified beforehand, whether it's, you know, feeding areas, bedding areas, a cool bench you want to check out, um, you know, some isolated meadow, all that stuff. Man, just have as much of that as possible because when you have to fall back on something, now you have something to fall back on. So that's a huge time saver versus just like wandering around. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm. Um, and it's been a pretty big shift for me in recent years, especially with cell phones and being able to download, you know, like Onyx or Earthmate, you can get the aerial imagery as well. Um, make, I just make sure on a mule, uh, I'd have definitely a different approach for a mule deer hunt versus an elk hunt. A mule deer is going to be very, very planned out, like hike to this spot, glass for the evening, you know, don't see anything by dark. Then I'm going to hike this ridge in the dark, you know, a couple miles, get to this next glassing spot. So I wake up in the morning and the sun's at my back and I'm glassing this hillside. Elk hunting, I'm going to be a little bit more general and vague on the plan, but also just have, here's my five by five square mile area. I've got all the maps downloaded for it. This is the route I want to take. And elk hunting, I kind of just get in there and kind of, you know, quote unquote, feel out the country. Like, okay, this is looking good. And I wouldn't, um, I guess I want to be flexible so that I could, uh, I don't have this pre-plan, like I'm hiking to point, you know, from point A to point B, maybe halfway between there, you know, off 90 degrees to my right. Like I look up in the head of this little basin, I'm like, man, that looks really elky up there. I just want to go that way. And that's one thing that I love just having camp on my back every morning is you have this complete flexibility to go any direction you want to go. Um, and then, you know, you, I think it's very smart to be strategic about how you're moving through the country so that you're maximizing your energy expenditure. So maybe, you know, I, I would, uh, use ridges, use benches, use, you know, find ways to kind of move through the country like it, like an elk or a deer would 
where they're not, you know, just going straight up and straight down. Um, you know, and then at the same time, you're planning these routes, you're taking into consideration what the wind and thermals are going to be doing and the time of day and where you think the animals are going to be moving. There's a lot of stuff that goes into play there, but I definitely like to have, I like to have all the information as far as maps and access points and trails, uh, downloaded on my phone. And then that way, when I'm out there, I can adjust on the fly. Yeah. I like to pre-plan like some sort of route or idea for even if I can elk hunt knowing that I'm happy to throw that out the window if I'm able to either see a different area that looks good and head into that or hopefully hear something and head after that but just even like pre-planning like I can as you mentioned like here's five miles right like I can cover this country this way the smartest both physically from an energy perspective as well as if you think of elk like oh, well, if I hike this ridge, I can call onto this side and into that side and down into that drainage or up into that draw. So, like, it's still helpful to plan that and then just throw it all out the window if you get to chase a bugle. Yeah, absolutely. Think through, like, a typical day, Steve. You don't have to, like, get super breakdown the whole day, but if you think through a mule deer, you actually just touched on it. Like, I'm going to do this until this time, and then I'm going to go there. Like, what are some tips on planning the time i would say so we've talked about you know gear and spots and whatever but when it comes to actually structuring the time that you have and let's keep this in context of a mule deer hunt for now and we'll, we'll get hit elk hunting in a bit like how do you structure that like a, a typical day of mule deer hunting or say you have a weekend of mule deer hunting and you're gonna so much time here so much time there just walk through that doing this right now pre-planning out a scouting trip and it'll be basically a 24-hour trip so i'm gonna have you know probably get up there early afternoon, get into the country, glass for the evening. Um, uh, and then I'll basically, so I picked an evening glassing spot. Definitely on mule deer hunting, you need to, um, basically to me, glass is everything. I think most mule deer hunters would agree with that. Uh, I like to find a spot where I just plop my butt down and I don't move. You're going to sit there for five, six hours in one single spot. Um, and then just let the deer move in front of you on the hillside. And, and over the five hour period, they're going to get out of their beds. They're going to feed, you're going to catch them. Um, but you want to pick that glassing point that allows you to see the most amount of country that you possibly can. Um, and then within reason, you know, I want to keep things within a few miles and stuff like that. You get too far out. Um, gets hard. Take into consideration the sun. So, you know, if this is an evening glassing spot, I definitely don't want to be on a peak glassing due west right into the sun. You're not going to be able to see crap. So try to glass at least north-south, if not east. Um, and then same thing for the morning. I wake up and like one of, um, one of my spots, it, it's terrible. The only way to glass it, uh, this hillside, just because it's a west-facing slope, is you're on the across it and you're looking um, straight into the sun as it's coming up in the morning and it's freaking makes it so much harder. Unfortunately, it's just the only way to do it. And on, I, that's definitely a scenario where I'd make sure I am up. Um, I said, I'm pretty, pretty lazy in the mornings. I make sure I am up and sitting there, you know, 20 minutes before you could possibly glass just so I can maximize every moment I have before the, the sun comes up over the mountain and is shining right in my eyes. Um, and so, yeah, mule, mule deer to me is, glassing sitting in one spot and then moving at times when it's you know uh, basically 
I would, uh, let's say I woke up in the morning, I've got, I'm to my glassing point. I'm going to sit in that one spot. Um, hopefully, you know, sometimes country, you need to glass for two hours at one spot and then maybe you only need to move a hundred yards, but you can see a whole nother chunk of the country by doing that. That's uh, not preferred. I'd rather find a spot where I can glass everything. Um, so if you're, I guess, in the interest of saving um, time on a scouting trip or hunting trip and you've got two different areas, you know, five miles apart and one of them has a really prominent glassing point where on Google Earth you can basically keep clicking in and double. And I think at some point you double click and it takes you to ground view. So it actually puts you on the ground in that spot and then you can pan around uh, kind of look up, down, left, right, and really get a good idea of what you can see from that specific spot. And I use that tool a lot because you'd be surprised that, you know, it looks good, but then you you get down there on the ground level view and it's got, you know, just how the terrain lays out. Maybe you can't see as much as you thought or, or vice versa. So, um, yeah, I'm going to basically plan that out. I'm going to spend that whole morning there glassing from that one spot. And then ideally... I'll have I'll go from spot A to B, but I would pick a route, or if I had a route that I could glass some beds as I moved along. Um, so if you're you're up on a hill and you want to be able to glass like kind of straight down into the shadows of behind trees as you're moving, and so I would move pretty slowly along that ridge. You know, it's kind of like this one spot I'm uh, I'm specifically thinking about where I want to go scout. It's got like a one mile kind of pretty knife ridge. Uh, and it looks good country on both sides of it. So I would definitely just like zigzag my way each side of that ridge, glassing down both sides as I moved along uh, in the afternoon and then be glassing from a new spot in the evening. And again, get to that evening glassing spot at 4 p.m. and, and plan to sit there until it's dark at 10 o'clock. Um, so that, that's how I would approach that. And then once you, you know, if it's during the hunt, obviously, once you find your deer, then then you found your deer and it's game on. And now you start strategizing on how to kill it. But as far as moving through the country, that's how I would do it. Got it. It's hard hard to say necessarily typical with elk because, <laughs> you know, it's like, are you chasing <laughs> something or there's so many variables there. But like, what are some of the things that you look at with elk? You mentioned your age slow to rise in general, but just. Are you trying to be right up at daylight in general? Are you covering country? Do you know where you're headed? What do you do midday? Like we've talked plenty of times before about how that can be a great time. But at the same time on a multi-day hunt, like sometimes it is worth it to take that nap. So just like some of the things to think through with timing and elk and kind of when and what and making the most of time. Yeah, there's so, so many variables here. Um, uh, it, it all depends on the strategy that you're employing, the country, the amount of elk, the hunting pressure. There's so, so many different variables that I could play out. Um, I guess I could tell you for, for us, a typical backpack hunt, you know, our, our Idaho over the counter tag, we're going to camp the night before, uh, probably freakishly close to where we want to be in the morning. Um, and let's say, let's just say for, you know, it's mid or late September. So the elk are talking or like earlier in the month, you might, we hunt some fairly open country at times. We might take into consideration glassing points for first thing in the morning to try to find elk and then move to them. But in general, let's, uh, let's say glassing is not an option. 
your fairly thick tree cover, you know, most probably typical, most elk country. Um, you're going to want to camp. We did, we like to camp really close to where we think the elk are going to be so that we could wake up in the morning. You know, we're not like making a lot of noise in camp. We just pack up quietly and then you go hike 200 yards and let out your first bugle. Um, you know, that, that kind of, I'd say within a couple hundred yards of where we want to be in the morning and how you decide where you want to be in the morning. You know, if, if you've been in the country before, maybe, you know, that the elk are out feeding in this clear cut at night and it's a good place to be, or, or you're just purely <clears throat> looking at maps and you find an area that looks like it could be good. You know, it's benchy. There's some water there. Maybe there's a couple clearings that you think there's going to be some feed, you know, maybe you heard, um, right at dark, you were hiking and you went to set up camp and you heard a bugle in a certain direction. You know, that's definitely dictated our morning, you know, where we, we were going to hunt one direction, but a bull bugled at 10 o'clock at night, the other way, you know, 400 yards away. Then we'll, especially if we, we know there's elk there, we'll just be quiet. We'll hang out and then we'll wake up and then we'll pack up and head that direction. So, um, and then, yeah, I think, some of our backpacking country, it's it's pretty big and steep and hard to get around in. Um, and so we hunt it pretty cautiously. Um, and I mean by that, that we're not just running around with our heads cut off, throwing out bugles. You know, like <laughs> basically when we hunt with born and raised, that's kind of how, how they hunt. It's not that their heads are cut off, but they <laughs> pre-plan our route and hike and bugle and hike and bugle and hike and bugle. And, um Sometimes that can work, but the country that we're typically in is is pretty rugged, and you just don't want to do a ten mile day in that stuff. You're going to be freaking wiped out. You got a four or five day hunt. You need to kind of pace yourself. So we definitely will. Um, the elk, we know they're elk there. We know they're moving around, um, and we'll just work slow and and really take our time. Be pretty methodical about it. Um, you know, we'll we'll bugle and call and and chase them for four or 500 yards, but if things don't look like they're working out, we'll slow down. We like to take, especially with elk hunting, we, we take a lot of breaks. Um, just sit down, um, make a cup of coffee, and and really, if the bulls are talking, use your, that is such a huge advantage to, to locate them. Even if you're not calling, just using your ears. Um, the, the worst day in the elk woods is a super windy day when you can't hear a bull bugle, right? Um so use your ears a lot and, and really just – that's why we, we like to move slow, move quietly, and, and let the elk tell us where they are. And then, and then once you know where they are, then you're, then you're planning your move. And, you know, that depends on time of day and things like that, uh, what the wind's doing, what you think the elk are going to be doing. Um, we, we are really slow midday. Um, say we chased a bull in the morning – couldn't quite get on him for whatever reason we feel like he's within this 400 yard area in front of us but we don't know where the winds are starting to shift man the best thing you can do is just plop down and wait take a nap and and again use your ears and, and wait eventually you know after being bedded for an hour or two that bull's gonna stand up bugle a couple times kind of you know check in on his cows and then once you locate him that's a great time to uh to go in there and and get closer or if you if you've got a you know ideally once they bed down let them hang out for half an hour an hour and if you've got a really good idea on say you know within 
150 yard circle where they're at man sneak in there midday and that's a probably one of your best opportunities to kill that bull is when his cows are bedded and you can get in close but so if, if you're if you don't have a good idea where they're at um and in the kind of the rough country that we hunt you blow them up they could you could push them up and over a ridge that maybe you don't even you know you know they're they went that way but it's so nasty and steep down the other side that you don't even want to go down there and chase them so yeah um but yeah moving we, we move slow we're methodical we're trying not to blow up elk always paying attention to the wind the wind's a tricky one just because like sometimes you gotta you know you're hiking from a to b and if the wind's not doing what you want to do it's not like you can just turn around or walk a different direction like you still got to get up on top of the ridge in front of you or whatever um so that that country kind of dictates what you're doing um and, and this is the like where we all kind of with the born and raised guys last year, it was more rolly country, way more easy to navigate. And yeah, you could absolutely start walking a different direction and you're kind of surrounded by, by elk in all, all directions. So uh, I think you had a lot more flexibility there. Yeah, that's good stuff. I mean, I, I relate to all that. There's times when you have to go hard and cover a ton of country to find elk. Um, but I would say I've probably learned the hard way of what you described of if you know there's elk in the area, you almost want to like, there's this weird balance of like sitting back and letting it play out. And then when it's time to strike, like then go hard. Um, right. But if you know you're in country that's holding elk, and especially if they're talking, you almost want to hang back a little bit and like almost figure it out, see how things settle down, see how it plays out versus... I know there's elk in here. Let's just go, you know, like, let's just go. Cause that's when you do bust them out. But if you can know there's elk in there, figure out what they're doing, where they're at, maybe what else is around as best as you can. And then like very strategically go and get aggressive. That makes all the difference in the world. So, man, I've been on both. I've been on hunts where it's paid to go. Oh yeah. We hear a bugle at 9am, but we're actually like, on that one, for example, we didn't get close till 1130 and we covered not much country in that two and a half hours, but it paid off. And there's been times where you do a 10, 12 mile day because you're trying to find an elk, you know? So yeah, the, it, it, there's so many variables there, but again, like above all, if you're, even if you're not going to quote unquote hunt hard and you're going to take that afternoon nap and chill out or maybe even have a totally fairly easy day that's great do it where there could be elk you know like there's been so many times we've stopped to take a break that gets interrupted by bugles or opportunities or what have you so it's just one of those things with elk hunting like you never know and if you're not going to kill yourself and cover 12 miles that day that's perfect maybe that's the best um but even if you're taking it easy in the afternoon like do it where there's an opportunity you know yeah absolutely we we always take breaks like um just take into consideration again hearing and then shooting i think shooting lanes is super important as well um like don't plop yourself down in the middle of a bunch of brush where you can't see or couldn't shoot something if it walked by you um you know maybe a hike you know maybe you see like a little knob in front of you that kind of gets right on the edge of a drop off of a canyon or a ravine or something like that to where you could hear a good distance like walk that extra hundred yards and sit right there and so just plop down right where you're at um or is that if you you're you know definitely taking breaks 
to create opportunities for yourself. Don't just plop down any old random place. And, and, um, you know, cause I think like you said, there's so many times and, and the reason we continue to do it is just worked like being patient and sitting and waiting, um, is, is worked for us a, a lot in the past where you, after you sit there for 30 minutes, all of a sudden a bolt pops off and you're, oh crap, there's an oak that way. Let's pack up and go. So definitely a good strategy. Cool. Anything else that comes to mind on the topic? Just where time can be wasted, where time can be saved, efficiencies. Like I feel like we've covered some good ground, but are we uh, missing anything that at least is on mind? And just picking country that is, <clears throat> excuse me, that is huntable. Um, you know, like I said, I, some of the elk country we talk about, it's not that huntable. Um, so I'm giving, not, not taking my own advice here, but you know, if you're between two different spots, um, pick the one that you can, you can see, visualize more routes through, right? Like, okay, okay. If I blow this elk up here, it's, it's actually pretty easy to, to hike a mile over this direction and then I'll hunt this bench on this North facing slope or something like that versus, Sometimes, you know, maybe you, this area, the spot looks really good, but if you blow the elk up in that spot, um, then you're next, then all of a sudden you've got like a four hour hike to get into the next country. So, um, and I think you're gonna blow up elk, like no matter what you do, wind swirls, they're really, you know, really good at using their noses. Um, especially they're in big groups, uh, you know, five to 20, there's a lot of ears, a lot of eyes. Um, so plan on, you're going to blow up elk. You're going to get close. They're going to booger out of there. So what's, you know, what's plan B and C after you blow that out? Um, I think it's always important to keep, to keep that in mind. So I said, picking country that is huntable, um, mule deer is a, a good example on, on, I really focus in on if I'm, you know, early season, um, high country, uh, you know, uh, deer or bow, bow hunting for deer, um, picking country that is has broken up terrain that is stockable it's huntable it it's uh, pretty easy to maybe find a deer that lives on a hillside that's just not like it's a lot of things are gonna have to go right to to kill that buck right um and things are stacked against you so try to focus in on areas that they're gonna maximize your opportunities yeah perfect steve man thanks for the time yeah absolutely it's been fun well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Do not miss next week. Hit the subscribe button. We have five, yes, five awesome episodes coming next week. You don't want to miss it. If you're hunting elk, especially, you don't want to miss it. Catch you then. See you next week.